Right to left really just means always putting outcomes before solutions. I, I, I illustrate it with a little metaphor for it. If you had to explain Lego in a way that made it meaningful, where would you start? I mean, would you start with truckloads of plastic granules arriving at the Lego factory? Would you start with boxes of Lego leaving the factory? Or would you start with children playing with the finished product? So would you start with the inputs to the manufacturing process, the output of the manufacturing process, or maybe even just the rate of boxes leaving the manufacturing process? Some people like to start with the metric even. Or do we start with something meaningful, the need being met, the need for the children to play and explore and discover and build and all these other things that they to do with Lego? You are listening to the Managing Remote Teams podcast, the show taking a kind, cool-headed, and fair look at remote teams. I'm the host, Luke Shermer, and I've participated in or run distributed teams for almost a decade as a practitioner. I'm speaking with experts on leadership, strategic alignment, and remote work to help you navigate the issues you start facing after you get your working from home gear sorted. Welcome, welcome, welcome back. I am super happy to be bringing you another episode of the Managing Remote Teams podcast. My name is Luke Shermer. I'm the author of the book Align Remotely. And on this podcast, we bring great thinkers and practitioners who are navigating the world of remote work as a manager. So today on the show, we have Mike Burrows. So I've been following Mike's work on the periphery for a while, but I really got interested recently in his pluralistic attempt at getting the best of seven different operational models into a grand unified theory of agile in his book right to left he's probably better known for his work called agenda shift where he's come up with an approach for positive organizational change that minimizes internal resistance that people typically feel when such things are introduced it's divided up into two parts so on today's episode you will discover why objectives are central to engaging everyone in organizational change initiatives, what often goes wrong with particular attempts at Agile and Scrum, and how to fix it, and also how to use outcomes to facilitate strategy and then map it to delivery. And without further ado, here's the show. Mike Burrows, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Great to be here, Luke. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. I wanted to ask a little bit about your background in terms of how you got into agenda shifting in the first place. Oh, that's, uh, that's a good question, right, right from the beginning. So, um, <laughs> Small talk. So I'm, I'm old enough to have had multiple careers, you could say. But I went from leading a global department at a top-tier investment bank around the time of the credit crisis which was, to put it mildly, an interesting place to be, and interesting not always in a good way, to being a CTO of an energy risk management startup. I was running a department of 100-odd people to running quite a small team within an organisation that was actually smaller than the department that I, that I used to run. I know it at the time, but it was going to be the case study for Kanban from the Inside, my, my first book. And in that process, I was already blogging. I was an active member of the, uh, I don't know if even still going, but the, the Kanban dev mailing list was, was very active at the time. After I finished that, I went into consulting, 
wrote Kanban from the inside. And so for a while, I was a Kanban guy. It was a very well-received book. I'd come up with the values model for Kanban. That was really the trigger for writing the book. So there I am, identified as the Kanban guy. But there's a little bit of a but. And, and it's actually, in a way, I'm, the but is around something that actually is actually a strength of Kanban, not, not a weakness. But I just wanted to take it a bit further. So one of the things that's very interesting about Kanban is that the dividing line between what is the thing, the thing that you're implementing, and the process by which you implement it, the, the line between those is very blurred. But all the same, it doesn't start with the conversation, why are we doing Kanban in the first place? I got very interested in how those upfront conversations go. I got very interested in how those improvement conversations go as well, in the, in, and tried to understand how could you do it in a way that didn't prejudge the answer. In a way, you can think of agenda shift being Kanban, where you take all the Kanban out of it and then turn the dial up to 11. That's nonsensical, but if you know enough about Kanban in terms of change, you begin to get the idea. But then it took me into strategy as well. And so that why question turns out to be really interesting. Having strategy conversations about transformation, having strategy conversations more generally about where do we want to be as an organization, what customers should we be providing our services and products to, how are we going to go about doing that, how are we going to become the organization we want to be, where we want to be, and all the rest of it. All of those things are really fascinating conversations. And I started to look at... Agile and the change process much more holistically, much more integrated and start to get a you know a vision of the organization where strategy, delivery, organization development, they are integrated, integrated mm-hmm. through participation, integrated through people talking to each other, you know, where we have an idea of what some, some important conversations need to happen and how to have some of those conversations in a good way. So that's about where we got to by 2017-ish. And I started writing the first edition of the book. And that sort of came out first of all, but then properly on uh, you know, on Amazon and everywhere else in 2018. And that was pretty well established by then. You had a partner program going, some very well-developed assessment tools, templates, all the other, th- all the other things you can get from the Agenda Shift website. Workshops, pretty well-developed. And then in the, quite a lot of those happened in those three years since. Uh, so I wrote Right to Left, that was published in 2019, and an audio book in 2020. And that was taking what's now our very outcome-oriented view of the world. We don't start with the solution. You know, we don't start with the agile framework. We start with the outcomes we want to achieve and, and the conversations that we have to work out what that looks like, mm-hmm. how different outcomes relate to each other strategically, all, all, all that kind of stuff. And right to left was taking that same perspective to the, the lean agile landscape. So how can we describe all the things we know about agile? You know, it's frameworks, the challenges of scaling. How does bigger picture organization stuff, strategy, leadership, all those kind of things. How do those fit into a lean agile world where we put outcomes before solutions? You know, where we really do look forward to outcomes, look forward to delivering on those outcomes, to meeting people's needs learning about our customers and ourselves in the process of doing that and letting all the process stuff fall in behind those outcomes. So what happens when you look at Scrum in that way? What happens when you look at Kanban in that way? And even the other scaled stuff, SAFE and Spotify, it turns out to be a very interesting way of looking at them all and a, and a very interesting way of integrating them as well. 
looking at things through a lens of outcomes is just it, it's that much more practical up, up a notch or two in terms of practicality but that's what I, that's what i've been doing for the last five years a bit less identified with the kanban community now i still owe it a, a debt i wouldn't be where i was without it but so much now is focused on issues like engagement and strategy and so on and making sure that we compartmentalize change management in such a way that we don't get polluted by all the dysfunction that's associated with it. Calling ourselves as a, a general shift as an example of an engagement model rather than change management. Really trying to establish that as a category really out, outside of change management. So we're not short of ambition. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we've been doing the past few years. If it's not really a Kanban book, is there another approach that you favor? It's a very... It's a very pluralistic book in its outlook, which Agenda Shift is, is as well. And we try to describe ourselves as neutral or agnostic. I think those those aren't the right words. I think pluralistic is a much better word. Uh, we have a yeah. way to integrate things. And we put things together for fun to see what happens when you put them together and encourage other people to do that. But also realizing that when you look at things with a particular lens and we look at things through the lens of outcomes, that actually help, gives you some pointers as to how how things can be integrated. So if I understand and remember it correctly, you start with discovering outcomes and not the underlying reasons. Why is it so helpful to do that? Let's do this right to left and uh, so work backwards. Mm -hmm. If someone is going to come up with, if someone's going to implement a solution idea, it's so much easier if that solution idea is in their own words. The, the motivation for that solution idea is in, the, in their own words. And they've had conversations with their colleagues about why they why there's a need for this solution before they generated and evaluated multiple ways of achieving that outcome and, and so on. And um, you get completely away from this idea of selling solutions and resistance to change and all the rest of it, instead to having conversations about what it is we want to achieve to the extent that's necessary, breaking that down, thinking about what obstacles are in the way of that thing we want to achieve what outcomes are available if we were to overcome some of those obstacles, understanding the relationship between those outcomes, make, making smart decisions about which outcomes to focus on first. And now that you can see this sort of strategic landscape of outcomes laid out in front of you, um, it, just, it, it just bypasses a whole lot of the pain of change management and it deliberately forces you to defer decisions on solutions so that you're not forcing solutions on people. You're expecting solutions to emerge at the right time. I'll give you a little analogy. When we went continuous, when we went, when we went iterative and then when we went continuous, the kind of the iron triangle kind of went out the window. The time dimension of the iron triangle started to become less and less meaningful. If transformation is going to be a continuous process, you know, the idea of the solution is no longer very helpful. And actually what's much more useful is to think about how can we set ourselves up so that we're always looking for the next thing. How can we set ourselves up so we can support people to find solutions that align to our overall objectives? And, and if you're familiar with OKR, this all fits very well. It's not the kind of OKR that's, oh, you just need to be 10% better or something like that. I'm not talking about targets coming from... Uh, from on high, we're talking about a participatory process that, that models the, the landscape around us in terms of outcomes and helps us make some smart decisions that allow people to be creative and innovative and, and, and a collaborative 
and all those good things and at every scale it's not trying to be a replacement for the agile process frameworks or for the scaling frameworks but it actually creates some really essential infrastructure if you want an organization that moves quickly it's got to be able to understand where it's going re-articulate that and reaffirm that if you build your delivery processes around that they're always going to be working on the right kind of things and the organization can then be so much more uh, responsive so much better at sharing intelligence and all these other things and we get away from this what to me is a really the miserable side of agile the, the, the the agile that's become plowing through backlogs. Uh, mm-hmm. If you've read any of my books, I have very little time for that. You know, mm-hmm. Mediocre experience delivering mediocre products. You know, we got ourselves into a stage where we, on the one side, we're talking about autonomous teams, and a minute later, we're we're giving them our strategy rather than letting them work work it out for themselves. And it's a very funny kind of autonomy when strategy is something that happens to you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, performed upon you <laughs> yeah going into that i just to, just to unpack some of the language that you use that's quite interesting what exactly does right to left mean in the context right of all of this so right to left really just means always putting outcomes before solutions i i, I illustrate it with a little metaphor for it if you had to explain lego in a way that made it meaningful where would you start I mean, would you start with truckloads of plastic granules arriving at the lego factory would you start with boxes of Lego leaving the factory or would you start with children playing with the finished product? So would you start with the inputs to the manufacturing process, the output of the manufacturing process, or maybe even just the rate of boxes leaving the manufacturing process? Some people like to start with the metric even. Or do we start with something meaningful, the the need being met, the need for, for children to play and explore and discover and build and, and all these other things that they do with Lego? And then imagine Lego as a process focused on that moment, anticipating it, thinking about how it can be the best possible moment, thinking about how we can learn as much as possible about that moment and about ourselves in that process and so on. And use that as a metaphor for what an agile delivery process looks like. Now, instead of thinking that our job is to plow through a backlog of requirements, our job is to keep focused on the next outcome that we want to achieve Uh, Keep focused on making sure that we're going to learn in that process. That says something about, you know, how we're organized, how we plan, how we review the work that we've just done and so on. It also requires us to know what those outcomes are and probably what the next one is going to be and how they relate to each other. So working backwards, that implies some, you know, strategy conversations and, and things like that happening as well. Again, think about this continuously. It's not enough to say that there's a roadmap. It's not just a, a document. It's not just an artifact. There has to be a process that keeps that current, uh, that keeps it informed by intelligence and insights and, and everything else. Scrum solves that by saying it's the product owner's responsibility. And yeah. That's not quite enough for me. <laughs> um, yeah. When you start to think of a big, bit bigger picture about how organizations work and you realize how important it is that strategy and delivery and organization development are integrated, I start to look to see how these things are supposed to happen and whether they're happening and so on. And I think it does a lot to explain what have been reported in the last couple of years has been some quite miserable experiences of Agile, you know, people hating on Agile and saying that Agile is dead and, and all the rest of it. But it's gone from being something iterative and something about learning to something that's about plowing through stuff 
and I really regret that. And I think we even describe it wrong. If you look at many descriptions of Scrum, you know, they're descriptions of a backlog-driven process, and I think that is really to be regretted. There are there are other ways of describing Scrum. We, we're pursuing our shared goals, uh, you know, shared objectives, goal by goal. That's describing the iterative process. And you know, each time we describe Agile in a backlog-driven way, in a left-to-right sort of way, I think slowly drip, we are undermining it, killing it. And I think that's very sad. I think a lot of the challenge usually lies in articulating these objectives in the first or discovering these objectives in the first place. What are the most common areas where organizations struggle in terms of doing that? There's a couple. The first, I, I, I divide strategy into sort of two main areas. I mean, there, there's one around ways of working, and there's one more generally about you know, organizational strategy, product strategy, and so on. So around ways of working, the, the problem is people go from, oh, we want to be more agile, to we need to implement an agile framework. Uh, and already, we're in, we're, already we're, in, we're in left to right mode already, starting with the solution, not starting with the outcomes. And if you're going to do that with at scale, so say you're implementing SAFE, oh, and let's make sure we keep this new scaled Agile framework plugged into our PMO that thinks in terms of planning through backlogs, thinks about work breakdown structures and all, and all the rest of it, and making sure that we're getting through all our stuff. What hope is there that they will discover a properly right-to-left process that really is focused on the customer, really is on focus on understanding what's really happening with customers, what their real needs are, how we're meeting them, and continually adjusting adjusting ourselves, adjusting our strategy even to, to all of that. It's very difficult. It doesn't mean that the, the frameworks don't work or can't work, but you start it in that solution-driven way and you do nothing to challenge the, the prevailing sort of left to right mindset, as you could call it, the backlog first. The problem is that we're using, we're actually using the language of the old paradigm. We're using the language of, of project management, I should say. Mm-hmm. And we're using that same language to describe the new thing. And that is a mistake. Um, if we seriously want an iterative process, a learning process, let's describe it in those terms first. And then think about what are the processes that keep that process just well enough fed, not overfed, so that you end up worrying about your backlogs again, but just enough fed, just well enough informed with good quality work to do. And how do you keep people participating in that process that people are, you know, properly motivated and getting away from this heads down, let's plan through it mentality? Yeah. And and what about the, the more strategic objectives? What are the common challenges that you see in terms of that? I, I'm, I'm simplifying a lot, but I see two major schools. And it's a bit analogous to left and right to left, but it's not quite the same. Inside out and outside in. Mm-hmm. So inside out strategies, we have these capabilities. Uh, and we, these are the things that we can do. And our performance in each of these areas is X, X Y, and Z. How can we build on that? And how can you know, how can we do more with what we have? So how can we be faster? How can we sell more starting from where we are? And that is a way to find some incremental changes, but it is not very exciting. And it doesn't actually tell you where you're going to get to. Um, and I think a much more interesting kind of strategy is outside-in strategy. And you actually start from the customer first and work your way in. 
So what, in abstract terms, we're positioning ourselves relative to the customers that we want and then working our way into what that means for the organization, what in terms of what kind of organization we want to be and how we want to present ourselves to the outside world, what products and services will we need to offer, on what platform are those products and services built, but not just technology, all the capabilities of the organization, and what does that mean for us inside the organization, you know, people in teams and, and so on. And I've designed an outside-in strategy review, and there's a template you can download for it. It starts with the question, what's happening when we're reaching the right customers meeting their strategic needs? It's a simple, generative question. It's one that doesn't in any way prescribe the answer. As long as reaching the right customers meeting their strategic needs is a sensible thing to focus on, you're probably going to have a good conversation out of it. We have some ways of unpacking that question. Who's the we? What does reaching for us mean? What customers where? What are their strategic needs, the needs that, that are most relevant to our, our mission or our current objectives and so on? So you can have a conversation about that. And you can imagine what, what it's like when that's working really well, when it's working in its ideal best. You can think about what obstacles are in the way of that. And then you can look beyond those obstacles. So where will we get to quickly when we've addressed addressed? addressed some of our you know, near-term obstacles. Where will we get to when we've addressed some of our further obstacles? From We can go from outcome to outcome as well. Given one outcome, then what happens when you get another outcome and so on? This is a generative process again. And in fact, this is what we get the 15-minute photo games about. You know, in just 15 minutes, from a list of a, a small list of obstacles generating a potentially vast number of outcomes. And then you can look at how they relate to each other. You can organize them, you know, very simply, short-term, medium-term, long-term, or you can use some um, fancier mapping tools that help you explore the relationships between them in a, in a bit more depth. So hmm. that's the idea. So for each layer, customer, organization, product, platform, teams, there's a, an equivalent question, a generative question, and then a generative process that generates the obstacles and outcomes that you can then arrange. So that's the basic idea of the strategy review. It's a great precursor to OKR. Meaning before metric is one of my sayings. Start with a number. Don't start with net promoter score or lead time or velocity, whatever your framework's favorite metric is. Instead, what is it we're trying to do? Who is it we're trying to be? Where are we trying to be? And let's express that in ways that motivate people. And then think about what's in the way. Let's be, be realistic about where we are, what constraints we're operating under, what challenges we're going to confront, what competitive pressures we might face, for example. That's getting real. It's not just dreaming up a vision and coming up with a list of features. It's getting real about capability and opportunity and matching one to the other and, and, and so on. Yeah, no, that's very good. I'm a, I'm a big fan of zero-based thinking in terms of strategic planning. <laughs> Speaking of strategy, why are you a big fan of a wholehearted approach to strategy? So wholehearted, that kind of was an accident. So while I was uh, writing right to left, I read Christopher Ale Alexander's book, one of his books on architecture, the, the Timeless Way of Building is the name of the book. And he talked about a building being wholehearted. For building to be wholehearted, you know, it can't be sort of, it can't be torn apart by you know inner conflict and contradiction and all the rest of it. And there was a sense of uh, wholeness and health and wholeheartedness 
um, paraphrasing slightly, perhaps the way he was thinking about what does a good design look like for a building. Uh, and I was thinking, what a great metaphor for those of us working with organizations. And it was almost a throwaway line in the book. Uh, what if we saw ourselves as being in the business of building a wholehearted organization? This was even while I was still writing the book. I blogged about it. And I got quite an amazing response to it. And I was doing a workshop in London, you know, a couple of weeks later. And we decided we would have a wholehearted curry. And we went out for dinner on the uh, the first evening of the, of the workshop. And we were quite lucky. We were down in the basement in the corner where we had two walls around us and, and quite a bit of space. There were, I think, 15 of us. And we were sticking stuff on the walls. And people were bringing to, literally bringing to the table what wholehearted meant to them. Which was exactly this is how a gender shift works. This is a, this is generativity again. I, I, I was very insistent that we shouldn't prescribe what a wholehearted organisation should, not certainly not prescribe how they should work. We mm. should say the barest minimum of what we mean by wholeheartedness. So I do quote the Christopher Alexander quote uh, about the most concrete I, I want to get is this idea of strategy, organization development, and delivery being integrated, in integrated through participation. If there is any conflict and contradiction and so on, that it's easily worked out because people are talking to each other. There are certain styles of conversation that help to do this. There are certain styles of certain, certain, like the strategy review, we have a service delivery review as well, that are designed to expose these contradictions and, and give you a way forward. That's about as prescriptive as I would like to get. And in fact, sometimes, when I do an exercise on wholehearted, sometimes I just put up the sentence, we're in the business of building wholehearted organizations, or we're in the business of building wholehearted and deliberately adaptive organizations, and not even specify wholehearted and deliberately adaptive, and let, and let, it, let, let it mean to people what they want it to mean. And mm. you'd be surprised at how constructive those conversations can be, because you start to surface things that people really want. And when you think about the obstacles in the way of those, they will identify some real organisational issues. And I could have stopped there. I couldn't resist. And I have dug, it, dug more into what does it mean to integrate strategy delivery and organisation development. And it led me almost inevitably to the viable system model. But rather than say wholehearted as an implementation of the viable system model and destroy the generativity of it, the deliberately adaptive bit is the more technical two sides of the same coin so wholehearted is qualitative and generative and deliberately adaptive is more technical and diagnostic and so on that helps you understand you know many of the dys dysfunctions of organizations helps you understand why scaling is so hard conversation scales really well so it's good to start with something that scales and of all the technical models the viable system model is the one that of all the models that i know that scale, scales the best it's a practical model that works from the level of the individual person who was the original archetype for it and up to teams departments divisions organizations economies countries back to wholehearted you know just basically are we doing those three things strategy delivery organization development are they talking to each other how are they talking to each other are they in balance with each other you know is strategy running ahead of delivery or is the tail running the dog? The delivery is doing what it wants to do and, and strategy is catching up. How, how do we have conversations about who we want to be and where we want to be and all those kind of things? These are all really crucial to the health of any organisation. 
from team level upwards, or arguably from the individual level upwards, to be myself. Where do I want to be? What do I need to deliver? How do I need to develop if I'm going to deliver what I want to deliver and so on? And there's how you, you know, calibrate things and how do you maintain integrity, trust building, all those kind of things. This is all stuff that we haven't known about for 50, 60 years. It's amazing. But to say it's a bit mind bending. Great conversation with Mike so far. I think my favorite takeaway from this part of the conversation is this idea of wholehearted organizations. It jibes quite well with my idea of the operational heartbeat in my book aligned remotely. And I think it really gets across this idea of the company as a whole needing to be fully integrated for it to really work well. And quite often that's not the case. And then this gives you a way of thinking about it that helps people realize that and gives you something to work towards. I think it's worth noting that this week, Agenda Shift 2.0, the new release of the book is just coming out. Go ahead and try and grab it from Amazon or any of the major places. I will leave some links in the show notes for you to grab a copy if that's of interest. Tune in next week for slightly more uh, practical applications of some of the ideas discussed in this episode. See you then. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Managing Remote Teams podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts and reach out to us on Twitter or LinkedIn with any feedback or thoughts that you have for a future show. 